Courage. I learned it from my adoptive mom. Hold my hand. You hold my hand. <laughs> Learn about adopting a team from foster care at AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Michigan's stay-at-home orders are some of the strictest in the country. They've included a ban on recreational activities like motorboating, a ban on traveling to a second home, and buying or even advertising for non-essential items like paint or furniture. Some of those restrictions are slowly being lifted, but critics say it's happening at a pace that's killing Michigan's economy. As other governors begin to reopen businesses, Michigan's governor, Gretchen Whitmer, is moving more slowly and confronting the economic fallout that comes as a result. We are at a standstill in a lot of ways. We're very mindful that this moment is going to take us a long time to come back from. Today on the show, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer on the economic and political hazards in the time of coronavirus. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Wednesday, May 6th. Okay, are you in a closet? (laughs) I am. I'm in my wife's closet, yeah. (laughs) She has a fabulous closet. Look at all that. I will tell her you said that. The best thing about it is that the acoustics are great, I must say. Nice. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. It doesn't doesn't reverberate with all the clothes. Exactly. Where where are you? I am in the library of the governor's residence. Okay. Have you been working from home most days? Yes. Governor Whitmer's state has the third highest coronavirus deaths in the country. It's also been suffering economically. Its auto sector has been hit especially hard after a slow recovery from the 2008 crash. I think that we've, you know, made more announcements in terms of auto jobs in the first 15 months of me being in office than we had in decades. And now, of course, all of that is in jeopardy. And as I think about the auto sector, we know that the whole world was moving toward connected, shared vehicles. Now, do we still move toward shared vehicles after our experience with COVID-19? I think that's a big unknown. It may or may not be good for the auto industry, and I think that's something that we will be grappling with as a globe. But certainly here in Michigan, that's something that um, will impact where we are headed. A lot of people in the United States and around the world right now talk about the trade-offs between public health and economic health. I think Michigan right now has somewhere in the ballpark of 40,000 confirmed coronavirus cases and 4,000 deaths. But at the same time, there's roughly... I think a quarter of Michigan's workforce that is without jobs right now. How do you view the trade-off between those two things? I get very uncomfortable even talking about it as a trade-off. I think that it's really incumbent on leaders to make decisions with the best science and the best data. We know that prematurely re-engaging will create a second wave that will have greater economic devastation associated with it on top of, of course, the paramount concern of loss of life. And so as we are navigating these next steps, I think it's really important that we stay tethered to the epidemiology, the science, the building out of our public health systems to ensure that as COVID-19 presents, we're able to keep it from community spread that overtakes our state where we would have to go back into a stay-home order. That's 
but we want to avoid at all costs. And I think regardless of how you feel about the decisions that have been made to this date, I'm hopeful everyone can be unified around the position that none of us wants to do this again later this year. Looking at the science is something Governor Whitmer talks about nearly every time someone asks her about reopening. But businesses are wondering how Michigan uses that science to determine what can open or not. The governor has said there's a list of things she considers. Asking the questions of, you know, what's the nature of the work? Is it indoors or outdoors? Does it interface directly with the public or not? Um, is there, are there implements associated with the work where people are using the same machinery or tools? These are all important questions that go into assessing the level of risk associated with different aspects of our economy. The lower risk ones are the things that come online first. But the work that we're doing is hand-in-hand with industry leaders and public health experts. Is there anything that your public health advisors have recommended that the state does that you have decided not to do because you worried that the economic impact would be too significant? Well, there's, I think that there's always um, tension between the public health experts and industry experts who are, of course, eager to get back to work. And there's so much that we don't know about this virus. Sorry, my dog. That's <laughs> all right. What's, uh, what's your dog's name? Kevin. Kevin. I like that. <laughs> yeah. That's what happens when your teenagers name your dog. Um, <laughs> I mean, the nature of this virus is that it's novel. We know so much more about it and our ability to combat it. We've learned so much in the last month. Between now and the next month that passes, our knowledge will have grown so much. I mean, we're now in the moment where Pfizer is starting to produce vaccines here in Michigan. Um, They're testing them on, on people. They've got the first trials started. We're learning at such a rapid pace. And I think the epidemiologists naturally say there's so many unknowns that it's hard to set dates and know that we're going to be able to meet them. And yet industry wants to see what the path looks like. And so there is that tension. I wouldn't say that they're mutually exclusive, but that's always the tension. And and that's what we're trying to navigate. I think the public health experts would say, let's just stay in a stay-at-home posture for the time being without an end date. And my judgment was that that would be too much for people to accept that the psychology of being in this moment is that it's a moment and that eventually life will resume. And so to have it unending, I thought it would be harder to take than if we had to do some short extensions. But even with an end date, which is currently set for May 15th, some in Michigan are having a hard time with the stay-at-home orders. People have expressed anger at the government, first by creating a giant traffic jam, and then by rallying on foot around the Capitol, with some protesters even carrying firearms into the state house. An argument that many of the protesters made was that Governor Whitmer's orders had gone too far and violated their individual liberties. The virus is here, it's going to be here, So we need to get out and live our lives and quit taking our economy deep into socialism. It's time to let people go back to work. That's all there is to it. Did you anticipate when you 
made some of the stay-at-home orders and when you did close some of the businesses, which I think were more intense than some other states. Did you anticipate that people in Michigan would protest and push back in the way that they have? So we had to be more aggressive because our experience with COVID-19 was worse. You know, Michigan is the 10th most populous state in the nation, and we have the third highest number of deaths. And so it was important for us to be more aggressive. I knew also that there was an organized effort to start riling people up and organizing a protest with the representation of different advocacy groups there. It was clearly a a very political action that was taken. It is along the traditional partisan lines, and it wasn't a surprise to me that it felt more like a rally than a statement of people who are unhappy about the stay-home order. It was unfortunate because it's congregating like that without wearing masks or protective equipment and getting close to one another and touching one another is precisely how COVID-19 spreads. And so the rally in and of itself might be the one thing that keeps us in a need to have a stay-home order, which is a sad irony. Well, how does that factor into your decisions going forward? Because obviously the success of any of these measures depends on whether or not people follow them or not. And as what we're seeing from some of these protesters, as you say, some of them are not following it. So how can you connect with those groups to get them to go along with the suggestions that you're making? Well, the vast majority of people are doing the right thing. I mean, we're a state of almost 10 million people. We've seen, you know, hundreds, maybe a thousand people show up at the Capitol. They're loud. They are making a statement, and they got a lot of coverage. But it's a fraction of the number of people in this state. When people stay home, you see the curve flatten, and that's precisely what's happened in Michigan. We are at a plateau. We are at a fraction of where we thought we would be in terms of COVID-19. And that demonstration was a slim minority of people in this state. The real story here is that most people are doing what we need to do, and it's making a difference in saving lives. It is not just protesters, though. There are Republican lawmakers that are saying that these measures are effectively killing the economy and that the state is lifting the restrictions too slowly. How do you respond to that criticism? Well, I've, I've been sharing the data. I think that it's really important that we, we not give into political agendas and we follow the public health. We follow the science and we crunch the data, we have a strategy going forward to mitigate risk. It's easy to say, let's just reopen. People are tired of this. The hard work is understanding where we can safely re-engage, measuring it along the way, and making sure that it's safe to turn the dial a little bit more. We know that a second wave can be more deadly and more economically devastating than the first. And so we've got to be really smart about it. And I'm not going to listen to polls and politicians and tweets to make decisions. I'm going to be listening to our epidemiologists, working with our business community, and making sure that we've got a smart re-engagement agenda so that we avoid a second wave and start to re-engage sectors of our economy where there's lower risk. So far, the state has allowed some non-essential things to reopen, like garden centers can start selling flowers again and people can start motorboating and golfing. 
Michigan residents will also be allowed to travel to their second homes, and construction projects can start back up. But this slow reopening could impact the long-term future of the state's finances. Things like pension funds, social programs, and school budgets are all now under threat. That threat after the break. Courage. I learned it from my adoptive mom. Hold my hand. You hold my hand. Learn about adopting a team from foster care at AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. How do you see this economic slowdown affecting the state budget in Michigan? So we anticipate we'll probably have a $3 billion hole in the current fiscal year. That's a big deal. And that's not unique to Michigan. It is something that my colleagues across the country and I spent a lot of energy on trying to get the feds to give us the flexibility we need and to give states additional support in the upcoming supplemental. Every one of us is going to have to make tough decisions in this moment. And the more flexibility and assistance we can get from the federal government, the better, because COVID-19 has wreaked havoc on all of our economies. What kind of tough decisions, as it relates to the state budget, are you having to face now or you think you'll have to make soon? Well, we've already done some belt tightening. I've got my cabinet starting to assess their individual budgets. I am working with our state employees. We've had some furlough happening already. We know that the $3 billion price tag, if that's truly what our shortfall is, and we don't get the assistance we need from the federal government, will be devastating. We've got five months left in this budget year in which to make that up. And and so that's additional pressures. And so there are a lot of unknowns. And I'm hopeful to have some assurances from the federal government. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell had suggested that states should be able to declare bankruptcy. What do you think of that? I think that that's dangerous. I think that it's not particularly well thought out. I think that uh, my friend and colleague, Governor Cuomo, put it better than, than anyone else could about, you know, what that would mean for the future of our country, what it would mean for our people, the strength of America in the eyes of the world to let states go bankrupt. I mean, it maybe it was an off-the-cuff remark. I certainly hope that it's not a strategy because it would be devastating for us as a nation. What do you think the federal government should be doing to help states? You mentioned giving them the flexibility, but what do you think exactly would be helpful? Well, I think that there's a lot of things that the federal government could do. A national strategy around the supply chain is something that's really important. A national strategy around manufacturing. The fact that swabs are manufactured in Italy and that N95 masks are manufactured in China, by and large, We need to make sure that we are focused on rebuilding manufacturing in in our country. We also, I think, would benefit from a national policy strategy instead of having states have a patchwork of policies based on who the governor is. I think these were all shortcomings. But I would just recognize that, you know, we're going to need a lot of assistance as individual states. And it is really incumbent on the federal government to be there for us, especially in in times like these when we've paid a dear price for, I think, what 
could have been a lot more planning on the on the national level. Vice President Mike Pence said that the White House is considering winding down the coronavirus task force. Do you think that now is the right time? No. Why not? I mean, the coronavirus is here for for the future. I mean, this is going to be here for a long time till we have a vaccine, until we have got immunity built up, till we've got serological tests that can tell us whether or not this immunity lasts for a period of time and who has it. I think that there's so many unknowns. And to start talking about wrapping up this task force is it's premature. And I think it flies in the face of what the experts have told us in terms of how long we're going to be dealing with COVID-19. What do you think it'll mean for your state if there's not a centralized group at the White House helping coordinate the nationwide response? Well, I think as difficult as it's been to get access to all of these implements that are a critical component of the testing, it'll be even harder. I think that it's been good to have a a primary point of contact when we need help from FEMA or the Army Corps of Engineers, etc. And so to wrap it up prematurely, I think, would be declaring victory too early. We have to get through the fall at the very least, and that would be my hope that that they keep it intact at least through them. This morning, President Trump said the task force wasn't being dismantled, but that its focus would be changing, more toward reopening the economy and developing a vaccine. Meanwhile, in Michigan, the economic damage is becoming more clear. On Tuesday, Detroit carmaker Fiat Chrysler said it lost almost $2 billion last quarter, and Ford projected it would lose $5 billion in the coming months. That's all for today, Wednesday, May 6th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like the show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We come out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.